your hands and your voice right now all across this room. Just lift up your hands towards heaven like a funnel and say, God, would you let the wind of your spirit blow into my life right now? Let the wind of your spirit blow into my life. Jesus, let it blow into my heart. The fire might be a little dim right now. It might have died down some, God, but I just believe if the wind of your spirit can blow in, God, it can bring it back to life. It can make things live again. Come on, somebody. I know it's a Wednesday night, but would you just reach out right now and say, God, would you breathe into me? Would you breathe into me? Let your presence, let that consuming fire of God come into my life right now, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to dismiss the life kids right now. You know, I was recently at my parents' house, and my dad just built a brand new home. But he loves wood stoves, so he put a wood stove right smack in the, up against the wall in the living room. And he was showing me how to use it while we were there. It's been a long time since I've been around a wood stove, mostly because they haven't existed in the last 40 years. And uh, one of the tricks of it is when you want the fire to come back up, you got to open up the damper. You got to open it up so, so something can come in. And when you're looking for the fire of God's Spirit on a Wednesday night, the only way I know how to do it is just open up my heart and say, God, would you just breathe back into it? It's no accident that God's Spirit is like a wind, and when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, it's fire. He said, You shall receive the Holy Ghost and fire. So when that wind hits the fire, you know what, when, what, what happens when fire is exposed to oxygen? It explodes. Well, that would have been a good point on a Sunday. If you would grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter number 4. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'll let you sit down and I will continue standing. set a timer here. Not that it really means anything. but Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. This is Moses speaking back to God when God's appeared to him in the burning bush and telling him to go and bring deliverance to his people. Verse number 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand and he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. I want to talk to you for just a few moments on the topic, take it by the tail. As you're seated tonight, would you just shake your neighbor's hand and tell him, take it by the tail. And you may be seated. We're, we're not one of these churches, but I'm going to ask this question. How many have ever held a snake? <laughs> Hopefully it didn't happen in church. But I remember when I was a kid growing up in, uh, in the Seattle area, we had the, gar the gardener snakes. 
that uh, they were non-poisonous, and I mean, they were all over the place where, where we lived, and I have these memories in my mind of we would go and we'd see how, who could get the most snakes, and you'd see us come, and we'd have a handful that just looked like these crazy homeschool kids walking around with these handfuls of snakes, and we'd have these handful of snakes, and then we'd have these, these contests where you, you sling them around and see who can throw it the furthest. So, and they say when they, when they psychoanalyze psychopaths that in their childhood there was normally abuse to animals. <laughs> so there is one piece to the puzzle, amen? But then a couple years ago I was at my parents' house and, and I looked out the window and I didn't know that the neighbors had this snake so it shocked me, but they had about 11 foot long boa constrictor and they normally kept it in the house but they had it out in their backyard and they were out there like feeding it mice and, and stuff. And uh, the, the kids were all out looking at it. I didn't let my kids go out. And honestly, I don't think I've slept since then. But they were out there with that. And, and I was talking to my parents about it. I was like, what in the world do they do if, if, if something happens with that snake? And they said, well, the guy said that uh, if, if the boa constrictor starts wrapping itself around you, and here's a life hack for you. If you're ever being choked by a boa constrictor, you need a bag of ice and you put it on its head and it'll relax. It's like, what happens if they're like, hey, go get the ice? They're like, we made a smoothie this morning. It's... But uh, so Moses from our, uh, from our story here is encountering the, uh, this is really the first, kind of the second instance in the Bible of, of a snake in church. But um, he's encountering this snake in his experience with God. And when you, when you read about the, when you read the story of, of, of Moses, um, you're, you're looking at a man that God strategically placed for a specific moment, for a specific time, with a specific purpose. He was not just another child that was born. His life was not just uh, pointless and purpose, purposeless, but, but God specifically and strategically placed him where he was supposed to be at the time he was supposed to be there, literally to fulfill a prophecy that my people are going to be in bondage for 400 years. So Moses had to come at the right time, be at the right place, and go through the right situations because God had a prophecy that he said was going to come to pass. And when God says something's going to come to pass, he said, my people are going to go into slavery, but they're going to come out. And they have to come out. So he was strategically placed there for that moment and at that time. And the Bible lets us know when you read the Exodus chapter 1 that, that uh, there was a new pharaoh that arose, and they begin to look at these Hebrew children, and they said that they're, they're greater than us. The, there's something that's different about them. They're strong people, and we're afraid that there's going to be a revolt against our leadership, and if we were ever to go to battle, they could join the other side, and they could defeat us. So they said the, the solution is, is we have to start killing the boys when they're born. And that was the, the decree that went forth is, is the midwives, when they delivered them, if it was a girl, it could live. If it was a boy, it had to die. It's kind of similar to what we see happening in society today is the feminine can live, but the masculinity has to die. There's always the attack of the enemy against the masculinity because there's an authority that's attached to that. And if that authority can be squashed and the femininity rules, and this, this is not some chauvinistic point of view, this is absolutely 100% biblical. When, when you look back 
Things just got out of whack in the garden with the, with the serpent. The serpent came in, and the serpent conquered the feminine and then conquered the masculine. And the first thing that God did is God said, you know what? Man has been put in a position where he's fallen into sin. He's fallen into temptation. And literally, I made him to have dominion over every beast of the field. And now the beast has taken dominion over the man. So before God ever dealt with man and woman... The first thing that God did is he said, Satan, come here. He went and he got the serpent and he put the serpent back in his position and put the serpent back under, literally under the foot of man. He said, you're going to crawl on your belly the rest of your life and man is going to have dominion over you. It's going to bruise your head and it's going to bruise his heel. He put it back in order because in God's economy for things to work correctly, there has to be that order that man has to be in that position of authority that God designed for him to be in. So the, the midwives were given these instructions that they were supposed to, they were supposed to kill the male child, but there was some, there was some midwives that, that did not follow these instructions. And the Bible tells us that there was two women by the name of Saphra and Pua that feared God and they literally started the first political revolt that you'll read about in the Bible. Is this is what the, this is what the current climate of politics is saying we have to do, but this is what we're going to do. They're saying you have to kill the babies. They said, no, this is what we're going to do. And God placed a blessing upon their life. And literally, while they were delivering babies, they delivered the deliverer. One of those babies that came forth that they saved was baby Moses. And so Moses was born in Exodus chapter 2, verse number 1. There went a man out of the house of Levi and took, to, and took a wife, of, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was goodly, that a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And we're going to see this pattern that's almost started at the very beginning of Moses' life, where Moses lives a hidden life. When he's born, he's hidden. He's hidden for three months, likely in the house. And I don't know how you hide a baby. Because I always heard my babies. I heard them in the middle of the night. I heard them during the day. You always hear the baby. I don't know how you hide a baby. But she hid, it. She hid this child for three months. And then the Bible goes on to tell us that it got to the point where she could no longer hide him. And she, she made a little ark for him. And she, this time she, she hid him again. She hid him in the ark. And then we know that Pharaoh's daughter comes along. And literally God uses Pharaoh's daughter to finance the upbringing of this deliverer that's going to, going to make the, uh, he's going to make them release the children of Israel. Literally, he was funded and trained in Pharaoh's house. So once again, he's hidden in the house. He's a Hebrew boy that's hidden in the house. And then we see when, when, uh, when Moses gets older in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, 12, he is. Uh, he sees somebody mistreating one of the uh, one of the Israelites, and he goes and kills them. So he runs and hides again. He runs and hides in the wilderness. He flees and he hides in the land of uh, of Midian. Then he meets the priest of Midian, and the Bible says that he goes back and joins him in his house. So now he's hiding in his house. So he's literally living this. He's living this life 
of, of hiding from one position to another position to the point that even when he has a child, he names his name, he names him Gersom, which means exiled or alienated. And he explicitly tells us that he named him that. He said, for I have been a stranger in a strange land. I'm hidden. I'm, I'm just wandering right now. I'm, I can't find my place. I can't, I can't find where I belong. Because when we look at the life of Moses, you see somebody that he's, he's too much Israelite and he has too much promise on his life and too much destiny for his future for him to belong with the Egyptians. But then he has too much Egyptian influence and baggage to link up with the Israelites. So he's kind of living this, this life of in-betweens that I don't quite fit over here and I don't quite fit over here either. So he lives a life of hiding who he really is and, and what he's really done. And, and we see this sometimes with people when they have a call of God and a touch of God upon their life. I've heard people talk about how miserable they are. I'll go to the bar and try to drink my sorrows away. But then I hear lyrics to a song, and all I can think about is what kind of sermon I can make with, with what they're saying in those lyrics. Knowing that I'll never be able to preach it because of the life that I'm living, but that miserable, I'm stuck in between that I've got an anointing and a calling on my life that's too strong for me to be a part of the world, but there's too much of the world in me for me to be a part of the church, so I live a hidden life. Your friends have no idea how many verses you can quote, and your church friends have no idea what you did on Saturday night before you showed up Sunday morning. It's that hidden life, stuck in between those two realities of I'm anointed and I'm called, but I'm also a murderer and I'm running for my life. And all oh, this, he has this whole trail all throughout his life of hidden things. And we see in Exodus chapter number three that Moses is out on the backside of the desert. He's running. He's literally running from his past and running from his future, stuck in that desert situation, stuck in that dry situation where in order to go to my future, I've got to go back and, and face my past. And I'm not ready to go face my past, so I can't face my future, so I'm going to be stuck in a desert. Sometimes those dry seasons in life are exactly a result of that, is I'm not here because I want to be here but I've got too much behind me that I've got to face to go where I want to go. Because sometimes a route to your future leads through your past. So in, in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses is keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Not even his own flock. He's like he's living a stranger in somebody else's life. He's just a sub-character in somebody else's story. This isn't even my flock, but I'm taking care of them. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And there, there was something that was different about this moment and about this situation. 
Being out in the desert, I can't imagine that it's abnormal to see little bushes on fire or brush fires or things like that happening. It's, it's a hot, dry environment. But there was something inside of Moses who said, this situation is different. I may have seen this before, but there's, there's something that's different about this situation. And a lot of times when God is setting up a visitation, it starts with a situation that, that could be familiar, but there's just something different about it. It's those moments when you're in church and, and normally you're, you're, you're just mindlessly scrolling through Facebook while the preacher's preaching. But there was something different. Some of you even looked up from it for, to me for that, so I appreciate that. There was something different about this moment. You recognize there's something in the atmosphere. There's something that's different. And it's in those moments where you, 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 you've got to get ready. You've got to get on the tip of your toes and recognize that God is getting ready to do something. God was setting up a situation and a scenario, but watch this. It depended on Moses being responsive to what God was doing. Because God set this up, but if Moses had kept walking, this would have been wasted. Read it with me in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God responded because Moses responded. God will set up the situation, he'll set up the scenario, he'll set up the circumstances, but if you don't want anything to do with it, don't be surprised when God doesn't speak. God sets up this situation, and he responds, and it's upon his response. He says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why is the bush, why the bush is not burnt? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. So it's in the midst of this, of this response that God begins to speak because God, God sees that Moses is interested in what I'm doing. Moses is interested in what I'm about to say. He, I've created the space for him, but he stepped into the space and now I'll respond. It's that formula where the Bible says that if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. When you search for God with all your heart, that's when you're going to find him. There's something about God that he has to respond. And if we don't respond, we can miss out on the situation and what God's doing. So he turns aside, and God says to him, draw not nigh hither, put off Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, God is telling him that it's holy ground, but as I read this today, I wonder, Brother Ivan, is God just telling him to take his shoes off because he knows that, that he's a runner, and he's been running his whole life, and he always runs from every situation? So God's like, I got his shoes. He's not going to run. They say to never judge a man until you walked a mile in his shoes. That way, when you judge him, you're a mile away and you've, you've got his shoes. <laughs> so in this situation, there, there's, there's, something, there's something vulnerable about your feet. Like there's some people that won't even wear flip-flops. When my, when my wife and I first got married, one of the first uh, projects that she tackled was making me stop where Jesus sandals with socks underneath them.
Because when we were dating, I went to Canada, and I had to wear boots because there was snow there. Then when she got down and saw me in socks and sandals, she was like Googling how to annul a marriage. <laughs> Just kidding. But there, there's something that, that's it's kind of vulnerable to, to be barefoot, and it's kind of a, a point of, of exposure. And I, I don't come to church with, with bare feet. You don't just walk in and throw your, your, your feet up on somebody's table. That there, there, has to be, there has to be a level of comfort. And it, it's that position of vulnerability. And God was, was, letting Abe, God was letting Moses know that, hey, this is a moment where I want to get real with you. I, I don't want anything standing between me and you and what I'm about to do. So take off your feet and stand on this holy ground. Step into my presence. And it's upon him responding to God's invitation to step into his presence that God begins to speak to him. And God starts to tell him, he says, I've, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians and bring them up out of that land unto a good land, a large and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. So what God makes explicitly clear here is what I'm about to do in the children of Israel. First of all, he says, I've heard their cry. I've seen their affliction. I've seen what they're going through because of their taskmasters. And he says, Moses, I'm going to bring them out. But then he takes it a step further and he lets Moses know that this is not about delivering them from oppression. But this is about positioning them for possession. That I'm bringing them out what's oppressing them so I can position them to go into a land that flows with milk and honey. And literally he paints, he paints a word picture for Moses to see. And we, we don't read about them going there and there's like a stream of milk and there's, there's like rains, honey. No, he's giving them a picture that, that I'm taking you to a land that's full of blessings. That you're, you're dealing with the bitter sorrows of Egypt right now. But I'm taking you somewhere that's full of sweetness. That's full of blessings. That flows with my favor. And that's the position that God has put Life Church in right now in this season. God didn't just bring us out of Pasadena to get us out of a smaller building, to take us to Monrovia, to bring us out. No, all those things that he brought us out of, it was all about possession. It was all about the next dimension. It was all about what he has in front of us. God did not bring you out of sin just to show the devil that he could bring you out. He brought you out. He broke those chains for the promises that he has in front of you. He never wanted the children of Israel to settle with deliverance. He wanted them to go for possession. Every day I wake up, there's a land that's waiting for me, and I'm working to get there. I'm trying to get there. I'm laboring to get there. I'm journeying to get there. And that's why when God gave you the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that it's an earnest of our inheritance. He gave you a little taste of what the other side was like. So when life gets too rough, when you're tromping through that desert and you feel like giving up, it's not about going back to sin. That's not the temptation because I'm going to the other side. I've got a taste of what's on the other side. It's about the promises that are before. And he made that abundantly clear to Moses that I'm bringing them out 
but I'm going to bring them up and I'm going to bring them in. That's God's progression of deliverance. As I bring you out, I bring you up, and then I'm going to bring you in. He begins to tell them what he's, he's, he begins to tell them what he's going to do through him. And then he starts to deal with Moses' past. You, you can read in, in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, When Pharaoh heard this thing, talking about Moses slaying the Egyptian, when he heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. And that's why Moses fled Pharaoh. And now God is telling him, Hey, remember, remember the dude that was going to kill you? In order to deliver my people, you're not just going to go stand and yell deliverance and they're all going to come out. You're going to literally have to step in and look Pharaoh right smack in the eyeballs and say, God said, let my people go. You're going to have to walk into that palace that you grew up rolling balls down the hallways. You used to be little baby Moses. And now you're Moses the Deliverer. And you're going to have to walk into that place of familiarity from your past and say, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And it's this moment of, of confrontation of, I know what God's calling me to do, but then I know my own personal insufficiencies. I know my own insecurities. I know my past mistakes and my past failures. And he's stuck in between that moment. Moses says unto God in verse 11, who am I? He goes from verse number 4 to saying, here am I, to verse number 11 saying, who am I? I can't do this. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and I say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He is letting him know that you have the authority to go under the stamp of approval of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you just let him know that the I am sent you. The I am sent you. And that revelation of the I am is what God was trying to get across to his people all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus would even say that I am. And that's the revelation that when you need a healer, I am. When you need help in your marriage, I am. When you need a financial miracle, I am. And he's saying, you go tell the children of Israel that you're in a position where you need deliverance. And let me tell you what, I am has sent me. The I am, the deliverer, is the one that sent me. And they go through this, and, and they're, they're going back and forth, and, and God's telling him the things that he's going to do to show signs and to show that his power is with him. And this is, what I, this is the assignment that I felt from the Holy Ghost tonight to talk to somebody. As we get into chapter number four, and, and Moses is still in this place of, of where he's conflicted. He's conflicted between the calling of God and the reality of who I am.
I know who I am is, but I also know who I am. I know what his power is, but I know where my failures are. I know where my weaknesses are. I literally know where the skeletons are buried. And stuck in that position of looking at my past, and it's my pathway to my future. I have to face what I was and face what I did. So this is what I felt to to share with some of you tonight, that you know that God has a ministry for you. You know that God has a calling upon your life, that God has great things in front of you. You know that he's called you on on doing great things for the kingdom of God, but you're unsure, what what is the next step? How do I get there? So the first thing that that we look at here is is in chapter 4, verse number 2, God asked this question of Moses. He said, what is in thine hand? And Moses answers him, and he says, a rod. Now the rod during that time was not just, it was not just some, some type of, of old relic that, that would be put up on a wall somewhere in a museum somewhere. A rod was something that was functional, that they used on a daily basis. That rod was, that, 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 that was a piece of protection. They could smack away something that was trying to attack them with the rod. That rod for a shepherd was, was, was an instrument of correction. They could smack the sheep and tell it to straighten up. That rod was, was literally a crutch, something to lean on. When I'm weak, that, that can compensate for my weakness. So Moses was used to using that to compensate for weakness. And historians say that, especially shepherds, that their rod was something that was extremely personal, that they would carve things into their rod, almost different characters and, and different scenes throughout their life, and it became almost like a, it, it was like a parchment to them of, of the things that had happened throughout life, that it would tell the story of their life. The good things that happened, they would carve something in there that reminded them of it. The bad things that happened, they would carve something in that, rem- that you carry everywhere you go. That's your sense of security, that you lean on, your crutch. Verse number three, he said, cast it on the ground. So the first step in stepping into that next dimension of ministry where God is calling you is God is saying, what's in your hand that you feel like is your greatest strength? Now I want you to throw that on the ground. Empty your hands of what you feel like is going to be key for the next dimension. How you're going to make it happen. What you're going to lean on when you get to that next dimension. That security. He says throw it on the ground. And when he throws it on the ground, he's releasing what's valuable to him. He's surrendering it to God. To the voice of God, surrendering it in his presence. He's letting go of that crutch, that thing that compensates for his weakness, for his shortcomings. He's putting it down at the commandment of God. And through this, we'll read on. It says, he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses, just like Moses always does, Moses fled from before it. I don't know if he has his shoes back on now or not, but if I saw a snake with no shoes on, I don't blame you, Moses. 
But God shows him what he thought was stable, what he thought was his protection. That there was a different nature. There was different characteristics that were inside of that. That there, he's like, what you're leaning on has a snake nature inside of it. There's something slithery that's inside of what you thought was stable. Your crutch, what you felt like compensated for your weakness. There's something slithery in there. Because he's trying to deal with, with a Moses that always runs from everything. That always hides from everything. That has some slithery things in his past. Saying you thought you were strong. You thought that's what you needed for the next dimension. But what you needed to do was release that to me. There's authority in that staff, but there's also a snake in it. It's that dual nature that we all live with. It's that that personality that you know makes you successful, makes people like you. But there's a snake in that too. It might work work in your favor sometimes, but what God wants to expose is there's a snake in the middle of that too. There's something slithery inside there, the thing where you can walk in and own the room. There's a slithery nature inside of that too. That's not what's going to take you to the next dimension. He's showing him there's weakness in there. There's danger in it. That dual nature. When you release it, you see that that crutch, that support that you'll always fall on. That it's hindering you from growing. You always have something to fall back on. If this is what was done to me, or this is what so-and-so said, I, I, I was just done wrong in life. That gives you stability. But for the next dimension, you can't use that stability. There's a snake in the middle of that. There's deception in there. God's exposing to him that the thing that you thought was strong and the thing that you thought you needed, you first got to give it to me and let me help you see what's wrong with it. Because there's some, there's some great things in it. And someday, you're going to stand and you're going to stretch it out. And a Red Sea is going to part. But there's also some, some negatives in there too. There's a snake inside of it too. That there, there's power in the future there. But you've got to deal with the snake. He's talking to a Moses that, that can't get past his past. And he's letting him know, yes, there's a snake in your past, but there's power in your future. But let's expose what's wrong so I can use what's right. And there's something about those moments. I, just to be transparent, I, I recently went through one of those moments where God put me on the operating table and my counselor. I went in for grief counseling and the guy just ripped me to shreds. So if I'm a better person today, you can blame him. But there's something about those moments where, where you're laid back and you're exposed and you see that was inside of what I thought was good. I didn't know that was in there. And God's saying, I want to take you into the next dimension. I want to take you into ministry. I, I, I've got a whole nation 
There's people that are depending on you. But we've got to deal with this first. You've got to see it for what it is. And there's something about being stuck in those moments. If you could come to the music. There's something about being stuck in those moments and you, you realize that, my goodness, I, I, I didn't even know this was wrong with me. God, you're showing me that this is wrong with me and you're also calling me in the same sentence? Am I missing it here? Am I supposed to walk away from this? Did you just say that to get my hopes up and then show me that, oh, never mind, you're not worthy? Had you forgotten about this? Had you forgotten about that Egyptian that I killed and buried in the sand? When really, when you stop and think about it, when Moses killed that Egyptian, he should have been like, next. He was called to deliver God's people from the Egyptians. But that snake inside of him got out of control and jumped ahead and did things his own way. So God is exposing this. And this is what I feel to tell somebody tonight. This is not a message of depression. This is not a message to make you feel bad about yourself. This is a message to let you know that the things that God has been illuminating in your life lately, the things that God has been showing you, the things that God has been bringing to your mind is not because he's trying to bring condemnation to you. The Bible says that there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you did in your past. There's moments where you step out of Christ and you make mistakes. But Paul wants you to know in Romans chapter 8 that there's no condemnation when you get back in Christ. And if you've never been born again and you can get in Christ, you can get back in if you step out. You can step back into him. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ. So what God has been exposing in your life lately is not to bring condemnation. But God's saying, I've got a whole people that are depending on deliverance. They're depending on you delivering them from oppression. They're depending on you taking them to a land of possession, to promises. But you've got to deal with this and recognize what you thought was your strength is your weakness. And then let me use it. See what I can do with it. We've seen what you can do with it. Who knows? Maybe he used that staff to kill the Egyptian. We don't know what he did. That, 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 could, have been a, that could have been a reminder. To, there might have been a little carving on there of, of an Egyptian laying on the sand. We don't know what he had used that for. We don't know what that represented in his life. But we knew there's a past tied to it. And God's saying, I've got a future tied to it. But right smack in the middle is we have an encounter with God. One of those moments where God says, what are you going to do from here? He lays it down in the presence of God. It turns into a snake. And it's in moments like this, if you would stand with me. Where you just want to run away. The Bible says that Moses fled when he saw that serpent. Those moments where you just want to run away. You want to get out of here? You want to give up? I'll go back to what I was doing before. My life was so peaceful before God stepped into it. 
Some people say, God came into my life and everything just became great. And some people are like, you know what? My life was really good until God got in the middle of it. God came and disrupted everything so he could fix it. And it's that moment where you're wondering, what do I do next? So we see the first thing you do is you, you lay it out before God. And then God gives him instructions of how to handle it. Now, being around Egyptians, he probably saw some snake charmers. So Moses probably thought, I need a flute. We need, we need to do something to get, this, to get this snake under control. God said, no, I want you to take it by the tail. Now, I don't know much about handling snakes that are vicious and that are poisonous, but I would not suggest taking a snake by the tail. Because the first thing it's going to do is it's going to wrap back up and it's going to bite you. Normally you can grab it by the head and you can hold its head and it can't bite you if you're right beneath its head. But God said, I want you to take it by the least threatening part. It's trying to slither away from you. It seems like it's getting out. Just wherever you can grab it. I want you to grab back a hold of it. I know it represents painful things from your past, but just grab a hold of it and see what I can do with it. And that moment that he grabs it, God turns it back into what God wanted it to be. And it became a a Red Sea parter. It became a symbol of God's strength. It became a symbol of God's authority. It became a symbol of the anointing that was upon the life of Moses. It became a symbol of deliverance for God's people. You've got to take it by the tail. There's times when you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't even know where to start. And some of you, it's, it's not even about your past. It's about, I'm just so stinking unqualified for what God's calling me to do. I don't even know where to start. God said, take it by the tail. Just grab a hold of it. Wherever you can reach it, just grab it. I'll take care of the rest. It was a supernatural work that transpired. It was nothing that Moses did. It was all God. It took him releasing it. And then God took over. The supernatural kicked in. As long as you're standing there with it in your hand, holding it, holding on to those memories, holding on to the past, holding on to your protection, holding on to your crutch, holding on to the things that compensate your weakness, God can't do anything with it. But the second it's released, the supernatural, the miraculous kicks in. And it begins to prepare and propel Moses to that next dimension of his ministry. Would you close your eyes right now and lift your hands? And I just want you to let the Spirit of God speak to you. Whatever God's calling you to in your life, whatever God's been speaking to you, some of you may feel like, God, you've, I feel like a spotlight's just shined on me lately. You've been exposing all kinds of stuff to the point where I feel like I'm depressed. I feel like, how in the world can I be this person? And God's saying, I'm not exposing that to destroy you or depress you, but I'm exposing that because I'm getting ready to do a miraculous work inside of you. I'm exposing that because you've laid it in my hands. I'm exposing that because you've entrusted your heart. You've entrusted your past and your future into my hands. Come on, would you talk to him for just a moment? Say, God, would you speak to me? Would you illuminate in my life? 
I know you're calling me to greatness. I know collectively as a congregation, God, you're calling us to a new dimension. 2019 is not going to be another 2017. It's not going to be another 2018. It is going to be a new dimension. It's going to be a dimension where we walk out of oppression where we walk out of the things that have limited us and have held us back and we step into possessing things we're going to possess things we're going to we're going to eat from trees that we didn't plant we're going to live in houses that we didn't build we're going to step into that land we've been living under the bitter bondage of Egypt but we're going to step into that land that is flowing with milk and honey but God right now in this moment we release it to you everything that's good about us everything that's bad about us everything we give it to you we give it all away to you right now we place it into your hands God we need the miraculous we need the supernatural to mix with what we can do we place it before you God would you just lift your voice and speak to him for a few moments <laughs>